future belongs to those who know where they belong. You're different. You can control and conquer your fears. That's what makes you dangerous. Divergence threaten the system. It won't be safe until they're removed. She's gonna kill me. I'm not gonna let that happen. They can't control you. You can change everything. Everyone's afraid of something, but not you. Fear doesn't shut you down and wakes you up. I want every Divergent hunted down and killed. Every single one. We have to be ready for anything. We have to fight back. There's a word for people like me. I'm Divergent. Divergent. In theaters and IMAX March 21st. Tickets on sale March 4th. Hello, folks. This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, a podcast number 480. It is March the 23rd. Welcome to spring 2014. Is it spring where you're at? I hope so. Not really here. I am looking at the outside temperature of 20 degrees Fahrenheit right now here in Michigan. But the sun is shining, and we are slowly melting some of our piles and piles of snow. So we'll uh, we'll see how the next couple of weeks go. But anyway, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, I'm back and going to do a classic style, like I like to say, a Trek episode. We're going to look at the TOS episode, a season one episode that I actually haven't covered yet. And there aren't very many of those left, uh, called The Alternative Factor. Yes, this is the one with Lazarus and the weird camera angles and and uh, alternate universe and, and things. Um, it's not maybe a best of Trek by any means, but it's definitely still worth talking about and covering. And uh, I'm going to try to cover it a little bit differently this time, involving a uh, book that I have uh, that covers very much in depth uh, the first season of how they did these TOS episodes with a lot of behind-the-scenes information called These Are the Voyages uh, by Mark Cushman that I got a couple few months ago with a lot of cool behind-the-scenes and scripting info and lots of stuff. So, Plus some clips and things, too, for the episode, of course. Talk about some other latest uh, things going on in the world of geekdom, like that trailer that I just played for you with the new movie that just came out on Friday called Divergent, which actually I just finished the book maybe a week or two ago, um, and I'll talk maybe a little bit about that at the beginning of the show. Uh, but that movie is now out playing in theaters. It's the latest in the line of uh, these rebellious teens in the future, you know, with society kind of uh, not so great, uh, very much like, you know, The Hunger Games, even Twilight a little bit. Um, but um, the book, yeah, well, I'll talk about that in a couple minutes. So um, I think that's about all I need to say right now. It's good to be back. Thanks to Meds last week for covering Street Hawk and Auto Man. Man, those shows take you back, don't they? Uh, I, I, For some reason, I thought one of them was a little more recent. It was more in the 90s, but I, they're both from the 80s. And uh, thanks so much, Meds, for covering those. I know uh, some of those older shows from the 80s and early 90s, people have a lot of fond memories of. I, I watched a fair amount of Auto Man. I never really got into Street Hawk very much, but again, Thanks for covering that. Uh, anyway, uh, I got a little bit of a different intro this week. Uh, this um, this came from uh, Dave on the forums. And uh, anyway, uh, here is this. It's a little bit of a sort of a Trek montage of music. And I'll be back in a moment. We'll get going with the uh, meat of the podcast. 
final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. before, before, before. Again, hello everyone. This is Rico. As I said earlier, <laughs> if you haven't figured that out yet, uh, let's do some uh, kind of normally kind of housekeeping kind of business at the start here. If you uh, perhaps maybe you're a rare person that this is the first time you've ever listened to Treks in Sci-Fi, but uh, it's uh, been a podcast that I've been doing for quite a number of years, and uh, normally it focuses a lot on Trek and Star Wars. But I cover a wide variety of subjects uh, from TV, movies, anything genre geek related uh, we, we cover here on this show. Have a lot of guest hosts pretty much every other week uh, and uh, always open for suggestions too on that. Uh, you can always email me at treksf at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group. We have a forum. All that kind of information uh, can be found over at treksinsci-fi.com. But uh, thanks for listening. If you're someone that's picked it up for the first time or you've been listening for hundreds of episodes, uh, I thank uh, each and every one uh, of you for uh, supporting the show and uh, and just um, glad you're here. So the uh, Divergent uh, movie, yeah, you know, I wasn't super thrilled by the book frankly, this first book in the series. I know it seems to be very popular, maybe uh, uh, a little bit more popular with the younger crowd, perhaps. Uh, my Actually, my niece uh, has read the book, uh, what did she tell me, like eight times or something like that? I don't know if she's, I think she's read all three of them in the trilogy, but um, it, uh, you know, it's this futuristic tale where people have kind of been divided into these different groups and societies. Uh, and the first book, I just found that it, it took a long time for the first book to really get go. Excuse me, get going. And you know, it was yeah, it was okay. Uh, but uh, I'll still probably see the movie. It's playing at a local little theater here near my house, only a few miles away. Uh, it stars uh, Shailene Woodley, Kate Winslet. Uh, that guy in the movie is Theo James. Yeah, he's uh, he was in a TV show, a cop show, not too long ago. Uh, Golden Boy, I think is what it was called. I never watched it, but uh, but anyway, the cast I think is really good and really strong. And I've heard, even though I don't really pay much attention to reviews, I've heard uh, people saying, yeah, the cast is good and they do a good job with it. Uh, uh, but it's it's maybe not the greatest movie of all time. Uh, but in any case, it's probably something that I'll see. There's enough in there for me to, you know, worth the five bucks to go see it. So uh, I'll probably be checking it out soon. Uh, let me know what you guys think about it. Uh, if any of you go see it, you know, shoot me an audio comment. You can always send in audio comments about, you know, movies you see, TV shows, books, whatever. Um, speaking of television, uh, I've, uh, <laughs> I'm getting a little dis- disillusioned and disappointed. You know, a lot of shows and series that I've been enjoying, and this happened the- last year around this time too, but some newer shows are, are not uh, going to be renewed. Things like Intelligence with Josh Holloway, 
really been enjoying that show quite a bit. I, I just like the characters a lot, uh, and it, it, I've I've heard that it's not coming back next year. The other other show that might not come back either, a, a similar kind of show in a way, a little bit at least. It's sort of a uh, but any it's um it's called Almost Human, and with Carl Urban. It's a really cool futuristic show. Uh, he's par- partnered up with Android, a police uh, partner. Uh, it's been really fun, I think. Uh, good first season, and uh, I'm hearing it's borderline. So, And the, the uh, other show that I've followed for, for a few years now that I've really enjoyed, Being Human, all these shows with the, ter- the word human in the title, uh, but that show um, is on the Sci-Fi channel. Yes, that still is a channel, S-Y-F-Y. And they do show some science fiction and fantasy type series, and and along with you know Mega God, you know Godzilla or you know Anaconda Five or whatever, uh, whatever movies or Piranha Ten, whatever they're showing on Saturday night. Um, what was it, Mega Shark? Yeah, <laughs> that was the big one for a while. But they've canceled Being Human. Uh, it's currently airing its fourth season. Yeah, fourth season, and there's only a few episodes left. This is the story about basically a vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost kind of sharing an apartment together, and and things that happen to them and go, they, you know, they they uh, get involved with over the years. Uh, it's really got a great cast. Uh, Sam Witwer is in it, who was on Galactica, and he's done a lot of video game work too. He was uh, had a had a part for a little while on Smallville. He's he's great. He's in it. Uh, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Josh Hutchinson. Is that how you say his last name? I think, and uh, Megan Rath, who plays Sally, who's great. Uh, it, it's a it's a very cool show. There was, of course, originally done in the UK as a UK series, which is uh, I heard has ended now its run. But uh, it's uh, I've never watched the UK series. Maybe now I'll go back and watch that when this one sh- ends up uh, ending. Although I think that this season it's kind of had a little different take on on things that are going on. There's more magic involved. Sally, the ghost. Uh, has has been more of a focus and and can do magic and it's it's sort of changed things on the show a bit so but I, I still enjoy it a lot and I'm, I'm sad to see it go and Warehouse 13 another sci-fi show which is going to be coming back soon in April with its last episodes uh, is ending so um, yeah there's not going to be anything really left well I guess Continuum is coming back even though it's not really a sci-fi sh- channel show they're going to be airing it. Uh, the third season is starting in April, I believe, airing. It's already started in Canada airing, I believe, uh, but they get it later. I do watch Lost Girl on the Sci-Fi Channel, too, which I enjoy. But uh, it, it's, yeah, it, it's sad when uh, I, I get uh, especially sad when when shows that have only had a short run are, are getting yanked. Uh, you know, thank you very much, Fox. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, but... Uh, I was a little actually the most surprising to me was them canceling intelligence I, I just thought cbs would keep that show going it has a certain vibe to it i think it fits into their their group of shows that they do i'm glad that person of interest uh is been continuing because that show is fantastic uh a really good show and and very very believable to me in a way about this supercomputer that monitors things and they try to help people that are considered irrelevant, except they're, you know, to these guys, they're not. If you've never watched Person of Interest, you know, I'm sure that there's a few of the early seasons. I think they're in season three or four right now. I think it's three. Um, but, uh, yeah, give that show a try because it's, it's, it's really good. 
a really fun show. And what else on TV and things? Uh, the There's getting more information about this new Gotham TV show that's going to be on the CW, I believe. Uh, ben McKenzie is going to play uh, a young uh, detective, uh, Jim Gordon. And this is kind of the kind of an origin tale for I don't want to say it's an origin tale for Batman because I don't think it's really going to be the case but this is going to show a very young Bruce Wayne some of the characters that we know some of the villains are going to be in there but younger uh, there's been some pictures showing up online of a very young teenage Catwoman, uh, and yeah, there's been some pictures of, of Bruce with his parents showing up online so we'll see uh, we'll see how that uh, that turns out um, I think it's going to start in the fall we're also getting the Flash TV series that is going to be starting in the fall as well. Uh, it's kind of a spinoff from the Arrow. Uh, I wanted to say the Green Arrow TV show, but anyway, Arrow, which is uh, probably, again, in my mind, the, the best comic book to TV show uh, type of series they've ever done. It's not so much that they've taken the Green Arrow comics and made them very much into a TV show. They've taken little elements of it and, and just turned it into a really cool show on its own. I read Green Arrow comics off and on over the years, and you know he's a little bit older in the comics generally. Uh, they've they've gone back and and made a younger version, I think, in the current comic right now of him. But uh, th- that show is just great. Uh, it's only in its second season, which is surprising to me because I think it really came out strong in season one, and season two has been fantastic. So. Uh, Check that out as well. Uh, that's a good one. And that that new show, The 100, just started. I didn't get a chance to see the pilot. It's about this uh, in the future and this group of young people that are on this space station. They get sort of plunked down on Earth and have to survive. Um, I'm hearing different things about it. it. For me, that story has been done. You know, it's I, I'm I'll maybe watch this at some point in time, but I don't see anything all that new or innovative in that in that type of a show. Um, it's also the same reason I haven't really watched. What's the other one that they've started? It's called Starcrossed, I think. Uh, that just reminds me too much of Roswell, you know, that they did a few years ago. And yeah, generally I like that kind of stuff, but I, I've got so much TV that I've been watching these days that's good. I, I, I just don't have time to throw another show on that. Although I am started to, I did start to watch because my uh, Comcast cable added this El Rey network uh, by Ro- Robert, what is his name, Robert or Roberto Rodriguez? Roberto Rodriguez, right? Uh, the director of From Dust Till Dawn. He started a, um, a cable network with some grindhouse kind of f- uh, films along with his new series that they are taking From Dust Till Dawn and turning it into a TV series. And I've watched the first couple of episodes of that, and it's pretty cool, I have to say. It's a little weird, and and, and, and it's a little nasty, and uh, but of course that's the network it's on, and that's what it's meant to be. So if you like that kind of stuff, if you like his movies, uh, like From Dusk Till Dawn and El Mariachi, or whatever that guy's name was, uh, uh, played by Antonio Banderas, uh, check it out. Yeah, if you've maybe added it, it's a, you know, check your cable uh, system, because... I think they added that when this network started, so uh, you, you probably might have it and you may not even know it, but uh, I think it's Monday or Tuesday nights that the new episodes era from Dust Till Dawn. I think it's maybe Tuesday. Oh, also, I have to say on TV, did you guys watch the uh, very cool special last week that aired about uh, Marvel movies? It kind of gave a history of uh, what Marvel has done with the movies, starting back with Iron Man 1. 
going through the the other Iron Man films, Cap, Thor, of course, the Avengers, the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, the Hulk, and what they're going to be doing in the, in the future with, of course, Captain America, the Winter Soldier coming out. They just had Iron Man 3, which started their Phase 2 version, you know, Phase 2 part of their movie plan. They got Guardians of the Galaxy later this summer, uh, and they showed a very tiny, tiny little bit of like concept art for uh, Age of Ultron. Although I've, I've read online that they've already started to film Age of Ultron, uh, which is the next Avengers movie, which isn't due out until, well, not that far really, you know, uh, about a year and a half or a little year and three months or four months. It's a due out for the summer of 2015. So, uh, you know, we have Cap. We have Spider-Man coming in May also, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 which isn't really directly connected to uh, Marvel and the Marvel movies. It's owned by Sony right now, but it still looks like a fun movie. And then so we have Cap, Spidey, and Guardians of the Galaxy as the big comic book things this summer, I think. Uh, nothing uh, right, Nothing DC, right? No DC movies or anything? What is the next DC thing we're going to get is, is, is Batman uh, Superman, which has been pushed till 2016 now, right? So... <laughs> I don't know, DC. You guys are really dragging your feet on this. Uh, so, uh, But the Marvel stuff, though, that was a great special. I really enjoyed watching it. I mean, there wasn't a, a huge amount of anything new in there, but it was just nice to see the whole, you know, kind of plan. And it was really a, a shot in the dark. You know, when Iron Man, you know, did well uh, and, and they, you know, got Robert Downey Jr. as that, uh, you know, I think they just had a lot of very wise decisions that were made of who they cast and the and the behind the scenes director people that they got who really knew how to both make a you know a movie that satisfied comic book fans like myself and geeks but also i think uh, really were movies that the general public enjoyed uh, obviously quite a bit so it, it it's it's great to see that i i, I was so happy you know I read I've read comics for a long time and I you know I always thought oh it'd be great if they could make these into movies the technology has gotten to that point but I always also was concerned that could they make a comic book movie that would be a good movie and enjoyable to comic fans but also appeal to the public and you know Joss Whedon I think did a did a great job with that on Avengers and they just continue to uh, to do well. Marvel just knows what to do. And uh, like I have said for years, I, I think uh, just about everyone who enjoys a good story, good characters, adventure, or, you know, cool things would enjoy reading a comic. Uh, but I think there's this eh, kind of association with comics that they're kind of for nerds and geeks and a lot of people won't pick one up and try it. But if they get a movie where most people will go to a movie and it doesn't have this kind of association and they go, hey, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty fun that, uh, you know, they've sort of tricked the audience. Hey, you guys, you know, you're kind of reading a comic book in a way, except in movie form. And comics, of course, are so visual anyway with the art and that that they're they're halfway to a movie anyway. You know, they can take uh, storyboards right out of the comics almost. So, uh Yep, it's it's a great time to to be a comic book fan, to be a geek, and, and enjoy this all this stuff. So, uh, I'm gonna take a short break here, I think, and uh, I think at this stage we're gonna probably get into the uh, Star Trek episode pretty soon, right after my break. I have a couple other things I want to mention, but I'll take a break here. I'll be back in a moment, and and we'll be getting into the alternative factor from uh, TOS season one. Do you experience bouts of geekdom? If so, Anomaly may be right for you. 
In clinical studies, Anomaly's convention reports, cosplay topics, and commentary on Star Wars, Doctor Who, Star Trek, and other sci-fi fantasy genres provided a feeling of fullness while promoting optimal geekiness. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. Learn more at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Anomaly, your prescription for geek entertainment. Okay, I'm back. Uh, a couple of little things. Uh, someone named John emailed me, and uh, he uh, mentioned that he's enjoyed a lot of the full audio Trek episode commentaries that I've done. He's created his own little feed to uh, to do that. He's been listening to one uh, a week going back into the archives and uh, with some early episodes and adding those to a special feed uh, to uh, use with his podcatcher uh software so i thought that was neat and uh thanks for listening john thanks for your email i appreciate that uh what else there was something else i was going to mention about uh that was coming up soon in in the world of genre oh i know what i wanted to mention just slightly is um clone wars clone wars on netflix uh probably most people are aware that there was a final season that was done for clone wars that they decided not to air they they it kind of sort of, I guess, in a way, canceled. Well, they did cancel the series and just stopped showing it on the Cartoon Network. And you can now, though, watch that last season uh, on Netflix. I've, I'm on episode four or five now, I think, and working my way through it, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. And uh, I'm going to be covering those in an upcoming podcast in a couple of weeks. Cover uh, this last season of the Clone Wars, along with a little bit of talk about the previous seasons as well. So I'm I'm enjoying it, and it's great to have more Star Wars. Actually, I just saw a new fan film online this morning. If you like this kind of stuff, I know back uh, a couple of years ago, I did a, a both I did a video cast for Star Trek fan films, covering some of the biggies out there. Uh, you know, things like Face. Phase 2. We didn't have Star Trek Continues at that point, but uh, make sure to check those out. And I heard the Star Trek Continues guys just wrapped up filming their their third episode, so we should be seeing that in a few months. Uh, probably, I would think, early summer released. Uh, and uh, there's the Star Wars fan film, which I also did a vidcast on, some of the Star Wars fan films. This one just got put up on YouTube uh, on the 22nd of February, so not that long back. It's called Star Wars Threads of Destiny. It's about an hour and 48 minutes long, and I, I kind of skimmed through it a little bit this morning. I didn't have a chance, didn't have the time yet to watch the whole thing through, but looks like they did a pretty good job with it, and there's a ton of this stuff, you know, on YouTube, which is uh, cool. I find it somewhat funny, though, that um, these movies and junk like that will show up there, but if you put just, like, the tiniest clip from Star Trek or Star Wars sometimes or music or even, you know, a clip with the music. I've used some of the music on some of my vidcasts, and and YouTube will take it down, like, within, like, minutes. I I don't understand how this works. You know, they'll they'll have a full movie up there with effects and, obviously, characters uh, and music and stuff from the movies, and those are still up there. But, boy, you, you put up, like... You know, I used a little bit of the Star Wars intro or something on a, on a vidcast, and it's down, it's gone, choop, gone. So, but anyway, that's a side thing. This uh, Star Wars Threads of Destiny, there's a bunch of others up there. Dark Resurrection, uh, Old Republic stuff, uh, just uh, lots of neat things to see over there on, as they say, the YouTube. Not to mention, uh, I saw... <laughs> 
I watched a clip this morning of Jimmy Fallon, uh, The Tonight Show, with uh, Kevin Bacon was on there the other day, and he did a whole dance intro like Footloose. Uh, with Kevin Bacon's looking pretty good still. He's probably, I think he's about my age, and uh, he can still do those all the uh, Footloose moves. So I got to practice my Rico dancing uh, sometime soon. So, all right, let us completely just segue now. I'm not even going to take another break or in between or anything like that. But let's get into um, let's get into this episode of the original series right now, the alternative factor. This is from uh, season one. It is uh, was episode 20, give or take, depending on how you count the pilots and everything. It first aired on March 30th, so right about this time of year uh, uh, in 1967. Uh, the remastered version of it uh, first aired on December 1st, 2007, so about 40 years later approximately. But uh, it was written by a guy named Don Ingalls, uh, directed by Gerd Oswald. Uh, so this, the, the summary of this story basically is uh, the Enterprise is in orbit around this uh, just kind of uncharted planet, and, and they feel this, what they end up describing later as sort of a winking out phenomenon of, of galactic proportions where, where the universe sort of, as Spock describes it, I think, blinks. And, and it turns out that they run into this character and name, uh, this guy named Lazarus on this planet, who is a very strange individual, and just in some moments he, he's a calm, cool, collected kind of guy and rational. In other moments, he's kind of a madman. And uh, throughout the story, they determine that there's a couple of uh, versions of Lazarus, and this is sort of like a parallel universe story in a way. Uh, this this episode though went through a lot of a lot of rewrites. There were there were big changes in this episode from the idea and, and, and original version of it to what they finally came up with. And I'm going to try to talk about that and cover that a little bit as we go through the episode. Um, and I'm going to slide in clips as we go too. And I think that's what I will do right now. I think we'll play one of the first clips that gets us into the episode uh, where I think this first clip shows the Enterprise first encountering this strange winking out phenomenon that happens. So listen to this. Playing a course for Starbase 200. Aye, aye, Captain. Captain. That's Spock. Incredible, Captain. What was that? What my instruments read is totally unbelievable, Captain. Twice. For a split second each time, everything within range of our instruments seemed on the verge of winking out. I want facts, not poetry. I have given you the facts, Captain. The entire magnetic field in this solar system simply blinked. The planet below, the mass at which we're measuring, attained zero gravity. That's impossible. What you're describing is non-existence. Standard general alert signal from Starfleet Command, Captain. All stations to immediate alert status. Stand by. Captain, scanners now report a life object on the planet's surface below. You just did a complete life survey five minutes ago. How is it you just picking it up now? Inexplicable, Captain. This reading began at approximately the moment that the pulsation phenomenon began to subside. Well, what is it? This object? It's physical makeup. A living being. Body temperature, 98.5 Fahrenheit. Mass, 
electrical impulses, movement. It is apparently human, Captain. And its appearance coincided with this cosmic winking out? Almost to the second. Explanation? None. Speculation? Could this being present any danger to the ship? Possible. Very possible. Lieutenant Pearl. Notify security to have an armed detachment of men ready to beam down with us. Let's go. Any word comes through from Starfleet Command, pipe it down immediately. Communications, priority one. Yeah, so that describes kind of what's going on a little bit of this this winking out phenomenon. Very bad, very dangerous for the for the galaxy. I'm going to read a little bit now from the Mark Cushman book, giving you um, some background again on this. Uh, it was again this episode was written by Don Ingalls uh, with a lot of rewrites by Gene Kuhn and a guy named Stephen Carbasta Car- Carabatas, which I'm completely messing up. Uh, he wasn't credited, though, and directed again by Gerald Arlswald. The NBC press release for this episode, uh, the press release came out on January 12, 1967. Uh, the main guest star here, Robert Brown, he was pretty popular around this time. He was on another series called Here Comes the Brides, and he was also a friend of uh, William Shatner. Robert Brown, uh, here's the the blurb. Robert Brown guest stars in a dual role in The Alternative Factor, a drama involving two strange men from an uncharted planet who threaten destruction of the universe on NBC Television Network's color cast of Star Trek Thursday, February 2nd. A landing party uh, under the command of Captain James Kirk encounters Lazarus, an embattled and desperate man who begs assistance in his defense against an enemy who claims to be insane. When... Kirk is reluctant. Lazarus makes an incredible claim of being the only man who can prevent the impending total destruction of civilization. So that's kind of the blurb that the press released for this episode. Uh, Let me give you a little bit more from the book about the the storyline. The guy who uh, came up with this story to begin with, the outline, Don Ingalls, was a former cop, and he was a friend of Gene Roddenberry. He was also a, a, a... one of Roddenberry's peers. He worked as both a writer and producer on Have Gun, Will Travel. And Ingalls continued to work as a writer, producer, and television on the Western series Whiplash and the Virginian, 12 O'Clock High, Honey West. And uh, Roddenberry wanted um, Ingalls, his friend, to write for Star Trek and approve the pitch concerning a man's obsessive hunt for his other self, a self that exists in an alternate universe. And Kirk's efforts to solve the mystery regarding the hunter and his lookalike hunted, thereby preventing the universal annihilation. Now, now one of the issues or one of the problems with this episode that they they worked out uh, a couple different things for and, and tried to have um, ways around this. One was this this two character, uh, or I should say Lazarus being two different versions of him, sort of a good and a bad, you know, a crazy one and an irrational one. They keep in mind that in the early part of season one for Star Trek, they kind of had did the, did this episode a little bit in a way with the enemy within, where they split Kirk by the transporter accidentally into two, sort of the good and the evil side of Kirk. And so this idea of a double or you know a second version of of a character had been done previously, and not only uh, previously, but done with you know the captain and more or less the lead of the show. 
So that was one kind of concern or one issue. The other one, uh, when the, the story was first outlined, is that, uh, you know, the Enterprise crew, and especially Kirk, kind of didn't really have a lot to do. They, they weren't that involved in the story. It was mostly a Lazarus story. Uh, the focus was on him. They just kind of stood around and let Lazarus do his thing a bit too much. So they had to figure out a way to pull, pull the crew, pull, pull Kirk into the story more. Uh, and I'm going to go through other little differences, too. Like I said, this this is one story, and I think it's one of the reasons the story is kind of a little disjointed and suffers a little bit, is that they, they rewrote this one considerably. Uh, and I'm going to, like I said, I'll talk more about that as we go through the episode uh, further uh, and uh, pull more pieces out of this, uh, this fantastic book here that gives you some production info. I'm hoping that Mark Cushman does eventually get a chance to do seasons two and three of TOS because, you know, they've got all kinds of info on, you know, when they did the filming, where they did location work, uh, all the different rewrites, how it was being interpreted at the time, what the cast thought and so forth. So, uh, and the other big thing, a problem with this episode that I'll talk about also more is that Robert Brown, the guest star playing Lazarus, came in at, at like zero hour. They had a different actor uh, first uh, that they had approached and offered the role to. Uh, let's see, who was that guy's name again? I had it down here a second ago. Da, 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 da. John Drew Barrymore is the guy's name who was originally going to play Lazarus but bowed out at the last minute because of conflicts with the changes to the script. Uh, so uh, so that's another thing that happened. And I'll tell, talk more about how Robert Brown got involved here in a moment. But let's play another clip this one, I think, is a short one. It just talks about they go down to the planet where they, they think that the source of this winking out phenomenon is happening, and they run into this character first. Uh, they run into Robert Brown's character, Lazarus. And I always like this scene because they do it back in uh, in the normal area. They always do all these Star Trek episodes at Vasquez Rocks, and uh, Lazarus is standing up over the top of this this uh, this cliff area, and he, he calls out to the landing party. And, and this scene I always remember uh, very vividly. Came! Thank the heavens! There's still time! It's not too late. We can still stop him. But I... But I... Need, need your help. Yeah, it's kind of a short clip, uh, but, it, you know, it sets the stage. Lazarus calls out to the crew, and he kind of collapses, and then they take him back to the Enterprise and, and have Dr. McCoy examine him. One of the things that they quickly, or not super quickly, but they, they soon discover is that Lazarus, you know, he acts very differently uh, throughout this episode, and, and later on there's a scene, I'll play a clip for it, but Kirk concludes these two people, and one of that reasons, too, that they learn, or kind of the clues for it is Lazarus has the like this cut on his head throughout this episode, and it's like, you know, I can't remember if it's the good or the bad Lazarus, but I think it's the... Uh, I think it's the bad Lazarus that has the big old cut, and or the crazy Lazarus, and and the good one is it doesn't have a cut, uh, so it keeps bouncing back and forth. And another problem with this episode, though, um, that you'll notice is is that Lazarus has this funky beard 
mustache thing going in this episode and, and it's it's real inconsistent and it isn't even consistent between the two versions of him the makeup uh they they just did not do a good job of replicating his beard from from each day they were doing the filming you know sometimes it's it's longer beard sometimes a little shorter there's not a lot of good continuity there for some you know a simple thing like putting on a beard you know makeup you know they little basic things like that uh they didn't they didn't quite get right here but um one of the uh big changes from the original story to this story was that they had this angle that they were going to use uh, like they used in space seed with khan where Lazarus was going to become involved with uh, a member of the Enterprise crew. Her name, I think, is Masters, Charlene Masters. Uh, She is a chemist aboard the ship, and he was going to sort of, you know, kind of charm her and win her over, and it was going to be not just to use her, but they were they were gonna get into a kind of a romantic relationship. And and one of the things or one of the reasons I'm pointing this out, um, and they end up eventually dropping this completely. But uh they had originally when they were gonna do this, um they uh they were going to um sorry, when they were gonna put in this character of uh, Lieutenant Charlene Masters, uh a couple of the people, Joe Dagnosta and the director Gerald Oswald or Gerd Oswald, however you say his name. I think it's G-E-R-D, but that's a weird name. Anyway, uh, the Charlene Masters character, they were going to hire a, uh, a black actress to, to play the character. Uh, her name was Janet McLaughlin, and, or McLaughlin, McLaughlin, I think. Yeah, is how you say it. And she was kind of an up-and-coming and, and actress. She had been on I Spy with Bill Cosby, but she was uh, African, African-American, and they were going to bring her as a romantic uh, interest for Lazarus, a member of the Enterprise crew. He was going to sort of learn things about where the dead lithium crystals were on the ship and, and other aspects of, you know, kind of very much like Marlon MacGyver's, you know, MacGyver's for um, Space Seed, though. And I think it was a smart move that they didn't end up doing this. Ah, oh, sorry, got interrupted there for a second. Um... Yeah, so I don't think it was a very, I think it was a good reason or good, they had some good reasons to not do this again. One, they had done this idea with a character of the Enterprise crew, a female falling in love with uh, some person that comes aboard the Enterprise. And I think that starts to show something like how, what are the Enterprise women like? Are they just all that easily seduced or whatever? I I don't know, but... But although I do like the idea that they were trying to push the envelope a little bit and they were going to do this sort of interracial relationship and show that uh, aboard the Enterprise, I, I like that aspect of it. So that's kind of a little bit of a disappointment. You'll notice that there is an engineering character in this episode uh, that is um, sort of this this character in a way rewritten to 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 uh, to a degree. Uh, but uh, you know she's she's an African American. She's she's in uh, the engineering area, even though she's wearing a blue uniform. She probably really should have been wearing red, correct? Uh, working with um, you know the dilithium crystals and that area. Uh, so uh, and um and I don't know. I'm trying to find here on Memory Alpha the actress that played. Um, oh, it is it is the same one that I, I mentioned, Janet McLaughlin. She is playing Charlene Masters here. 
So uh, she is in the episode. She just doesn't really have anything to do with Lazarus, except later in the episode being sort of knocked out by her, or knocked out by him. She's knocked out when he has to steal the crystal. So uh, that is the same actress. So there we go. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they were going to have a much more involved relationship in part, and, and that got all kind of cut out, um, which was one of the reasons, uh, among many, of why they had to get a new lead actor to play uh, Lazarus. But I'll say a little bit more about that after I play the next clip, which I believe is, yes, this is Starfleet's message to the Enterprise, to Kirk about what's going on and what they what they detected with this weird phenomenon. This is actually the first time on Star Trek that you see sort of a inter, um, you know, a, a, a big view screen video chat, basically. <laughs> They're FaceTiming with Starfleet. This is the first time this happens in Star Trek. So listen to this. Message ready, Captain. Main screen coming on. Kirk here. Enterprise standing by, Commodore. You're aware of the effect an hour ago. Yes, sir. You may not be aware of its scope. It occurred in every quadrant of the galaxy and far beyond. Complete disruption of normal magnetic and gravimetric fields, time warp distortion, impossible radiation variations, and all of them centering in the general area which you are now patrolling. The question is, are these natural phenomena? Or are they mechanically created? And if they are, by whom? For what purpose? Your guest, Captain. Thank you, sir. I've considered all the alternatives. My best guess is it could be a prelude to invasion. Exactly our consensus. I'm giving you the job of finding out specifically. Aye, aye sir. Can you assign me other starships as a reserve? Negative. I'm evacuating all Starfleet units and personnel within 100 parsecs of your position. It's going to be tough on you and the Enterprise, but that's the job you've drawn. You're on your own. I see. You mean, we're the bait? Good luck. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so that's a good scene. I like seeing it when Kirk is 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 having some kind of you know connection to Starfleet, to getting his orders, and you know saying, "Hey, we're the bait. We're gonna we're gonna work this out." Um, oh, the the reason Masters is wearing uh, a blue uniform, of course, is like I said earlier, she was supposed to play a chemist. She was supposed to be a chemist on the ship, working in the science area, and not uh, in engineering. And when they rewrote things, they basically, and had her work more in engineering, uh, they didn't really tell the wardrobe department. You know, they originally had a blue uniform uh, worked out for her. So that that's why that ended up happening. So there you go. It's it's an interesting uh, little thing, kind of a little glitch. And, but you see the reason behind it, at least. She was going to play a different version, a different character in a way. Same name of the character and and be in the be in the episode, but they they changed her duties aboard the ship. So, uh, but um, so that's why that happened. Let's go um, talk about a little bit about this reworking of uh, the actual um, actor. You know why they got Robert Brown and how that all happened. So this uh, Barrymore, John Drew Barrymore, uh, was visiting the uh, set and and for wardrobe and and fittings. And then he, you know, he he got this last set of script changes where they pulled out the romance and, and, and changed quite a bit of what his character was going to do. 
And basically, he didn't like this, uh, especially at the last minute, and, and he refused. Uh, the, the role didn't come to work, and he said basically they, they had changed his character so much he didn't want to do it. So DC Fontana says, uh, you know, Robert Brown came in at the last minute, and uh, I'm going to relay a little bit about uh, his recollections of this. Robert Brown had to say, uh, on the uh, Robert Brown says he remembers it well. I got a call on my birthday, November 17th. It was from Gene Roddenberry. Shatner and I had gotten along really well while making a, a, a thing called Colossus, a movie. And Roddenberry said, Shatner gave me your number. I hope you don't mind me calling you. This is Roddenberry saying that. I didn't know who Roddenberry was, Robert Brown says. I didn't know what Star Trek was. It had just started and I hadn't seen it. But he knew that they lived out in the Malibu colony. And he said, listen, it will take you about an hour to get here, but you can come out. Um, So Roddenberry's asking Robert Brown to come over and see him. So I drove in and Roddenberry greeted me and said, Hey, just follow me back to makeup. Don't worry, we'll find a place for you to live near the studio. And and Robert Brown is like saying, "What? I, I don't understand. Come back to makeup and and live here? What are you talking about?" <laughs> and uh, he says, "Oh, well, you, you got the part. Shatner says you can handle it." So after I called you, my office called your agent to talk about the script. And then Robert Brown saying, "Well, what script? I haven't heard anything about it. I'm not familiar with the show or the genre. So um, no, I don't think I can do this. Thanks anyway." And, and Roddenberry says, listen, you're an actor, you're from the theater, you can do this. Look, I'll tell you what we'll do. And this is Gene Roddenberry talking to Robert Brown. I've got a contract with William Shatner. This was a, a well-known thing or has become a well-known thing. Shatner has in his contract that nobody can get paid more than he gets paid. And uh, But uh, but I'll tell you, if you I'll, I'll arrange this. If you don't tell anyone, I'll, I'll pay you what Shatner makes for this episode and I'll give you a little extra myself, but you can't tell him or I'll sue you. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry, which sounds like him, tells Robert Brown this. And then he, he uh, Gene Roddenberry supposedly at this point reaches into his pocket and he gives me $5. He said, here, and I can arrange for a motel near the lot so he doesn't have to come in and drive each day for, for work and be nearby for the week or so it's going to take to film this. And uh, with the schedule being what it was, you know, they, they film very early in the morning to late at night. Uh, it, and it would have been very hard for him to drive each time. So Brown took the five bucks, went to makeup, and luckily the costume that Barrymore was gonna was going to wear it fit him. And then he, you know, gets his makeup done. He gives him a, you know, a one of a kind kind of a look. And so the out out comes his beard. And uh, his first day, his scenes were on the bridge in the sick bay in the transporter room. Beards, uh, his beard was thin, uh, and and they later thickened it up or something like that. So, so there again, you see, you know, between uh, that William Shatner knew Robert Brown and who worked with him before and recommended him to Roddenberry, and then Roddenberry basically pulls this guy in at the last minute, and you know, without even really formally asking him, it sounds like if he wants to do the job, he says, "Hey, go over to makeup costume fitting, and, and we're going to get going on this." And uh, so. I think, you know, Robert Brown, for coming in at the last minute, I think he does a really good job, and I think he has a very theatrical kind of performance here. You can see that he has that kind of uh, style. And and William Shatner, you know, was a theater guy too. So, you know, they have a very similar, I think, acting style, and I think it works pretty well for this episode. 
again, not not necessarily one of the better Trek episodes, I think, because of all these changes and problems. This is actually an episode that I, I would sometimes pass when it would come on in reruns myself personally. It's not a big favorite, but I've, I've grown to appreciate certain things about it, and it's, it's really cool and interesting to learn some of this behind-the-scenes stuff uh, on the uh, in the book that I've got here. So let me play another clip for you. And I think at this point we're up to, um, this is a little bit about Lazarus talking to Kirk and giving you a little background about what he's searching for, this, this, this you know, his adversary, his, his enemy, let's say. I'll talk to our unexpected guest. Maybe he can provide some answers. That's how I came to be down there, Captain. Pursuing the devil's own spawn. A thing I've chased across the universe. He's humanoid. Outside. But inside, he's a hideous, murdering monster. I'll get him, Captain. I swear it. You say there's one man. Not man. Thing. Thing destroyed your entire civilization to the last man woman and child how did you escape i was inspecting the magnetic communication satellites you believe me don't you before we picked you up our ship sustained a number of incredible effects that was he he's death anti-life he lives to destroy is he the thing that attacked you My word. I swear it. We don't have any other facts, any information. Then you'll join me in my holy cause. Help me in visiting justice and vengeance upon him. My only cause is the safety of my ship and the mission we're on. You'll beam down with me. I'll check your story out. One of the things about this episode that uh, is kind of interesting, and it's both good and bad, I think, at the same time, is how they de- depicted the corridor or you know interdimensional space for the two Lazarus to fight. They had this sort of negative image, and it's sort of tilted, and there's smoke, and uh, it's it's not the best. It's probably uh, you know the it's a very hard thing to depict when you think about it. You know this this corridor between universes but uh, Robert Brown was having a lot of problems with those scenes I mean they were they were you know he's he was being pushed to learn dialogue and and get up to speed and I guess he had a little conflicts with the director along the way and it didn't it, it didn't end up being um, a, an easy experience for him although there's some a blurb he'll read at the end about how he, he still says he enjoyed it but the the director even threatened to call the Screen Actors Guild and say Robert Brown was it was not a very good actor because of what you know he wasn't uh, being fully cooperative and and it wasn't uh, really his fault you know the fact that he came in at the last minute and he just had to just get up to speed on all this weird dialogue and 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 strange sets and places that he was in so I th- I think he does really a good job considering everything else that's going on in this episode. Um, let me get to I think we'll just slip in another clip here. I think this is when they're. Uh, when they're t- 
talking to Lazarus about the dilithium crystals that have been taken from the ship, so uh, listen to this. Captain's log, stardate 3088.7. We are no closer to finding an answer to the strange phenomenon than we were at the beginning. Not only have two of my crewmen been attacked, two of our dilithium crystals are missing. And without them, the Enterprise cannot operate at full power. They must be found. Fact. You said you needed the crystals. Fact. An hour after you said you must have them, they were missing. Fact. Two of my crewmen were attacked. And fact, Captain. I didn't take the crystals. I'm not the one. Find my enemy. Find the beast. And you'll find the crystals. How did this beast get aboard my ship? He did. Isn't that enough? No. He didn't transport up. A report would have been made. I tell you, we're dealing with a creature capable of destroying worlds. Why does he need the crystals? For what reason? For the same reason that I do. Listen to me. He's humanoid. Well, he, he can pilot a, a spaceship. He can compute formulas to destroy races. He can steal an energy source for his vehicle so he can escape from me. Are you deaf as well as blind? Sit down. Crystals certainly aren't here. There's an unexplained radiation source on the planet. Obviously some connection. We'll check it out. Organize a search party immediately. Mr. Lazarus will beam down with us. Thank you, Captain. You may not have reason to thank me, depending on what we find. There's a, another thing that I think happened, too, in this episode, another a bit of a problem, is that because they pulled out the whole romance and the love story angle a little bit, that, that left them with, there, there are quite a few times in this episode where you just have this repeating thing where the two Lazaruses switch places, they're battling in the corridor, oh, there's another scene where that happens, they find one of them on the planet, or something's changed a little bit, you know, where the universe kind of blinks and, and they are... Um, they swap places. That happens a few too many times. They, they kind of have to repeat that, I think, uh, a bit because of missing other elements of the story by pulling out some things that, that left them with sort of room to fill. And while it's okay once or twice, you know, I don't know how many times it happens in this episode. It, it happens a little too much. And uh, it, it's okay. But again, I, th I think that they, I think they should have kept some other kind of connection or maybe not a full romance, but had had Lazarus at least, you know, had a scene with one of the crew members, maybe try to get some information from them or something. They could have thrown in some other little bits rather than having that happen all the time. They're on the planet, then they're off the planet, then they're back on the ship, then they're back on the planet. You know, it bounces around a lot, this episode does. So next up, um, I think this is a scene where, uh, where Kirk and... Uh, Kirk and Spock are talking about their, and this is the big revelation when they finally kind of put the pieces together and figure out of maybe what's going on and, uh, about Lazarus and, and what's going on with this winking phenomenon of the two universes or, or the idea of two universes uh, is where they get to at this point. The source of radiation is not from our universe. Nor in our universe, Captain. It came from outside. Outside. explain a lot. Another universe. Perhaps in another dimension. 
occupying the same space at the same time. The possible existence of a parallel universe has been scientifically conceded, Captain. All right. What would happen if another universe, say a minus universe, came into contact with a positive universe, such as ours? Unquestionably, a warp, a distortion of physical laws on an immense scale. Which is what we've been experiencing. The point where they come into contact, couldn't that be described as a whole? Indeed. I point out that a hole in the universe or in a simple container can either allow the contents to escape or what is outside to enter. The invasion that Commodore Barstow suspected. There has been no evidence of a large-scale invasion. But a small-scale invasion, Mr. Spock. What is your analysis of the mental state of Lazarus? Difficult, Captain. One moment paranoid, the next calm, mild, rational. Almost as if he were two men. Yes, two men. Different, but identical. And a hole in the universe. No, not a hole. A door. Through which these two beings are somehow enabled to pass. Now, take a look at Lazarus. One minute he's at the point of death. The next he's alive. Well, strong as a bull. The cut on his forehead. First he has it, then it's gone, then he has it again. Which is physically impossible for one man. Quite right. Unquestionably, there are two of him. So they've, uh, you know, they figured out what's going on here. There's a parallel universe. This is a doorway or corridor. This winking phenomenon is, you know, when they kind of, there's a transition or something happening between the two universes with Lazarus and that there's two of them. They kind of, I think it works. I think that it works that they've, they've pieced it together by that point uh, in time. And, and it makes sense to me. One of the things related, I just read in the, in this book again, in Mark Cushman's book, Related to what the uh, the casting change to to Robert Brown um, is that they eventually, I guess they 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 filed a complaint uh, later. Desilu did Desilu Studios, which uh, basically produced Trek uh, at this time. They filed a complaint against uh, with the Screen Actors Guild uh, against uh, John Drew Barrymore, and later. You know, it was results of that hearing. It, it, it showed up in Variety magazine. Uh, he got a reprimand from the Screen Actors Guild for balking at the Star Trek role. He was fined $1,500, and his SAG card uh, was suspended for six months, which prevented him from working. Uh, you know, Roddenberry was quoted in the paper saying, we didn't understand his reasons for, you know, not taking the role. He didn't like the script, can- strip, script changes, but there weren't any which affected his part. Uh, which, you know, in, in a way, you know, I guess the actor is looking at it as like, you know, he thinks it's this kind of a role and a part uh, involving, you know, this romance and other little things, and then it turns into something different. I, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I, I think he has certainly has reasons. But back in that day, I think, you know, once you had committed to a, a part, once you had signed a contract, I don't think he had a lot of room to negotiate uh, and say, well, you know, you guys just changed the script at the last minute. I, I, I think, you know, they had that right to do that. So I, I think in a way the studio was probably kind of justified. 
I don't know how the episode would have turned out or I, I mean, partly I think they're kind of blaming him for maybe, you know, how the episode comes out, but I think still Robert Brown did a good job. I think that the real fault of it is the script was just kind of a mess a little bit at that point. So, um, interesting. Uh, also, uh, you know, an aside thing, you know, this guy, you, you may have already guessed this, John Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore, uh, the actress, uh, is his daughter, uh, along with, uh, a, another a guy he, uh, who is also an actor, John Blythe Barrymore. So, you know, the Barrymores, is, 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 you know, a very much, uh, long history in the entertainment and acting world. Uh, and so his, you know, his family and he ended up doing okay, even without this little blemish, I guess. Uh, a funny side thing to this though, too, when publicity started coming out for this episode, there was a, um, a publicity picture that came out promoting the episode coming. It was supposed to be airing actually on the 2nd of February, but eventually got pushed. But there's a picture of Lazarus and they identify Robert Brown, the actor as John Drew Barrymore in this thing that this press release that went out. So they, they goofed up there, you know, basically because the actor change happened, you know, maybe before some of these publicity materials were created, no one one no one thought to like kind of proof it later and go, hey, you know, we got a new guy here. This isn't the same actor, and they needed to change the text under the picture, so they put out a retraction and and, and fixed it eventually. And the episode didn't end up airing until later uh, in uh, March, so they they rearranged the schedule a little bit, um, but. Uh, uh, let's go with one more clip here and then I'll come back and, and play or, or talk a little bit more about what Robert Brown finally ultimately thought about this episode, uh, with some comments from just 2013 when he talked about it. This is a parallel universe. Of course. Antimatter. Here. Yes. And if identical particles meet. The end of everything. Civilization existence, all gone. I tried to stop him, Captain. That's why I took your dilithium crystals. He has two more. That's very bad, Captain. If he comes through at a time of his own choosing... Well, I think if we hurry and you will help me, he can yet still be stopped. There's little time left. He meant to come through. When you accidentally pass through, it drained his crystals. It'll take him about 10 minutes to re-energize with equipment on board his ship. That should give us enough time. Exactly what did I pass through? That's hard to explain, Captain. I call it an alternative warp. It's sort of a negative magnetic corridor where the two parallel universes meet. It's sort of a safety valve. It keeps eternity from blowing up. This uh, corridor, is it what caused the magnetic effect? The winking out phenomenon? Precisely, Captain. But not because of his existence. Because, because my foe entered. The corridor is like a prison with explosives at the door. Open the door and the explosives might go off. Stay inside. And the universe is safe. Both universes, Captain. Yours and mine. Surely, 
Lazarus must realize what would happen if you should meet face to face outside the corridor. Of course he knows, Captain. But he's mad. You heard him. He's lost his mind. When our people found a way to slip through the warp and prove another universe, an identical one, existed, it was too much for him. He could not live knowing that I lived. He became obsessed with the idea of destroying me. And the fact that it meant his own destruction and everything else meant nothing to him. So you're the terrible thing, the murdering monster, the creature. Yes, Captain. Or he is. It depends on your point of view, doesn't it? It's ready, Captain. If we can force him into the corridor, while I'm waiting for him, we can put an end to this. But if he comes through at a time of his own choosing and breaks into this universe to find me... I understand. What do you want me to do? Find him. Force him through his threshold while I'm waiting for him into the corridor. And I'll hold him there. You can't hold him forever. Can't I, Captain? You destroy his ship. But if I destroy his ship, won't yours also be destroyed? It will. And your door will be closed. Yes, and so will his. You'll be trapped inside that corridor with him forever. At each other's throats throughout time. Is it such a large price to pay for the safety of two universes? I'm ready. Send them to me. I'll be waiting. Yeah, that's a little bit of a longer clip. Uh, I, I like that end uh, part of this uh, this episode where uh, Kirk goes to the sort of alternate universe, uh, which I always found a little bit weird. You know, if it's like an antimatter universe, wouldn't even Kirk just being there be a problem, even if he's not right there with his same, you know, opposite self? I don't know. That always kind of stuck in my head as being a little bit odd that you could just go over there. But I guess it has to do with if the same, you know, you know, particles or the same people in this case meet up with each other is when you have the real problem, not just going from one to the other. I mean, I guess that had already happened with the bad universe or the the bad universe, not the bad universe, the bad Lazarus. I, sorry, coming to our universe several times and nothing happening. They do make it look a little weird over there too. It looks the sky is a little bit different than things. I, I do like Lazarus's little, uh, you know, whatever you call it, universe jumping ship. I thought that was a cool thing. I couldn't really find or read much up about that, though. They don't seem to talk about that a lot that I could find here of how that was created and, and, and any background on that that prop or that, that piece of uh, uh, set dressing that they made. So, um, But I like that scene a lot where the the... the calm rational Lazarus talks about you know the really the needs of the of the the many outweighing the needs of the one uh, and that idea you know comes of course out later in Star Trek especially of course Wrath of Khan 
but you know the sacrifice of Lazarus, the you know the the character, the good rational one, to to kind of close this corridor and, and stop the uh, the annihilation of both universes. He's like, it's a small price to pay, really. So, one more clip here, the the end of the episode, and then I'll come back and uh, and wrap it up with uh, some other thoughts from this uh, this book and, and my comments. Please are standing by, sir. Biophasers. Mr. Leslie, let's get out of here. Ahead, warp factor one. Warp one, sir. Everything's all right, Mr. Spark, for us. There is, of course, no escape for them, sir. There is, of course, no escape. How would it be? Trapped forever with a raging madman at your throat until time itself came to a stop. For eternity. How would it be? Captain, the universe is safe. For you and me. But what of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? Yes, but what of Lazarus stuck forever in that uh, in that corridor? This would have been an interesting episode to do some kind of a follow up for at one point, uh, but um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's okay. I think that there's some interesting things here. I think it it, it certainly could have been better. Uh, the the director I think uh, maybe didn't do the best job. Robert Brown coming in at the very last minute I think does a fantastic job with what he had to work with, uh, but I think these story changes that they made uh, just kind of hobbled the episode and uh let's see robert brown here back in just uh last year or so 2013 he said it uh, about the episode it was really a remarkable experience i had no idea nor did anyone this was going to be such a hot property like any show star trek was a bunch of actors talking about what they were going to do next they had no idea that this would last a lifetime i was under the gun while shooting that episode but it turned out that the public liked me in the show I'm getting fan mail to this day from all over the world. Uh, and Robert Brown is, is still alive and kicking. He's 87 years old. Uh, it doesn't look like he's currently working anymore really much. It looks like some of his last IMDb credits were uh, way back, pretty much in the 90s. I think eventually he goes on to teach a little bit. But uh, good for him from Trenton, New Jersey. And uh, I always liked him on Here Comes the Brides, that old TV show too. So... Uh, That'll date me. <laughs> anyway, that is, uh, I think, about all I have to say about this episode. It went a little over budget. It was a day late. Uh, they had an extra day of shooting they had to do. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of location work at Vasquez Rocks here in this episode and on the Enterprise. It's, it's, it's a fairly elaborate episode, really, when you look at it, you know, with the weird corridor effects, uh, the two actors, you know, or not really two actors, but the two different versions of Lazarus. It, it's kind of an ambitious episode, and it, I don't think it really makes uh, a great one, but uh, it is interesting to learn all the, I think, the behind-the-scenes stuff of how it and why it is the way it is and, and, and how it became the way it was. So especially with this pretty significant, and I think the biggest change, the idea of dropping this romance part of the story out of this episode completely. So, uh, But Lazarus is still out there, you know, protecting the universe, uh, and uh, good for him. <laughs> All right, everyone, I hope that you, li- you like that little look at this. Uh, and I think, well, let's take one more short little break, and I'll come back uh, with the last uh, couple comments and-, and tell you what's coming up on Treks and Sci-Fi. We are the Rusted Robot Podcast. Lower your shields and surrender your minds. We will add your MP3 recordings and opinion on Geekery to our own. We will adapt to embrace this culture. Resistance is futile. It's... The Borg. Commander Adama, Cybermen, Daleks, and Cylons are fast approaching. Jump gates forming in multiple sectors, and the Doctor's nowhere to be found. What are we going to do? Tune into the Rusted Robot Podcast at therustedrobot.podbean.com and on the iTunes Store. Sean and Bridget Vanderloo's love for all things geekery and robots are our only hope. Oh, boy. Get rusted today. Robots. Cyborgs. Androids. Oh my. Rusted robot. All right. The upcoming on Treks and Sci-Fi. Next week on the 30th, uh, the end of the month, we'll have the Moyers here. Rick and Amy uh, are going to cover a TNG episode. Uh, I think it's a season two. Is it two or three? Uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, they're going to cover the episode The Child next week on Treks and Sci-Fi, so that'll be fun. Uh, Two weeks from now, on the 6th of April, I will be back covering Star Wars The Clone Wars, mostly focusing on the most recent season on Netflix, but talking a little bit about the previous seasons as well. And on the 13th of April, Mark will be here, our classic sci-fi guy, He's going to look at a classic episode, or classic movie, I should say, uh, called Invaders of uh, from Mars, which is a really good one, uh, one that I always got chills and thrills from when I was growing up watching that one a lot. It's, a, it's one of those older sci-fi movies that, for some reason, it's, it's one that I, I saw many, many times growing up. So, All right, folks, that's about it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I tried to mix it up a little bit with some... Other background information, maybe a little more than normal. And, I, you know, let me know what you thought about that. I hope that was enjoyable and interesting. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Please, if you get a chance, put a review up on iTunes for Treks and Sci-Fi. If you've never done that, that'd be great and fantastic. I'd really enjoy that. Uh, enjoy reading those, I should say. And uh, also donations, PayPal, those are always welcome. All, all kinds of links to things can be found over at treksandsci-fi.com. So, 
everyone take care. Hopefully the weather, you, wherever you are at, uh, is, is better <laughs> and getting better uh, as we warm up. And uh, I saw a map. It was funny, a little little map on uh, somebody put up on Facebook uh, of the United States. And it, it was broken up in sections about when spring will arrive. And up in the like northeast and Midwest areas, there was a big chunk of it that just said never like we're never going to hit spring. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're going to be okay. I think we're over the hump. I think there may be still, you know, a little sprinkle of snow here or there, but I, we're slowly, even though we have some pretty cold mornings, uh, we, we've been getting above freezing pretty much every day for the, for maybe the last week or so to a degree, not, not always that much above freezing, but, uh, we're getting there. So, all right, everyone take care. Uh, I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. She's watching the taxi driver, he pulls away She's been locked up inside her apartment a hundred days She says, yeah, you're still coming just a little bit late He got stuck at the laundromat washing his cape She's just Watching the clowns roll by and they spell a name like Lois Lane and she smiles all the way she smiles. She's talking to angels, counting the stars, making a wish on a passing car. She's dancing with strangers, falling apart.
she smiles. This has been a Rick Dosty Podcast production.